following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So for today's sermon, uh, I wanted to talk for a few minutes about two mystics. One from the Jewish tradition, um, who we kind of inherit into the Christian tradition, and then one just from the Christian tradition. Now, when I say mystic, uh, that word may be new to you, what I mean is a faithful believer whose religious life is spent in deep contemplation, uh, in dreaming, even in dwelling in visions. So since the time of the Enlightenment, if I can get a little historical here for a minute, which, by the way, corresponds pretty tightly to the Protestant Reformation, we modern Christians have not really been overly fond of mystics. We nowadays tend to prefer and respect people who we perceive have their feet planted firmly on the ground rather than their heads in the clouds. Uh, but that hasn't always been the case. Uh, the dreamers have, um, have been held in high esteem in certain quarters of the church and uh, throughout the history of God's people. And so I want to think about two of them briefly here this morning. The first dreamer that I want to talk about is Joseph. Um, Joseph was the great-grandson of Abraham, the patriarch of the Israelites. Uh, in fact, Joseph's father, Jacob, uh, was renamed by God Israel. And so that's where the, the Israelites get their name. Uh, Jacob had 12 sons who became the patriarchs in turn of the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of them was Joseph. Now Joseph had these holy dreams, these visions from God, and they completely changed his understanding of the world. But they also ultimately put him at odds with his brothers and with his father and his mother. And in the end, these dreams that he had ended up ripping his family apart. So this idea for this sermon was originally in the context of our uh, deconstruction project. Um, and I wanted to focus in that context on the idea that when we are in deconstruction, um, we sometimes come to new realizations, new understandings, and those realizations can put us at odds with our families and with the religious communities of our past. And I know that so many of you have had that experience, that this this new understanding of God, which you perceive to be from God and of God, nevertheless causes separation and distress in your relationships with the people who maybe matter the most to you in the world. That was the original context. Um, but given the current circumstances, I'm mostly going to set that idea aside in hopes that we might be able to return to it someday soon. Okay, so let's take a look at Joseph's story. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 37, verses 3 through 11. So if you have a Bible of your own that you want to open up to find that, you can do so. If your Bible happens to be one of the red ones that you brought home from Artisan, which is not stealing because we give them away, um, it would be on page 30. That's how I'm going to read it out of uh, our red Bibles. You can also, of course, find them online. BibleGateway.com is a pretty good online Bible. The, um, the Bible app, also known as version, is pretty good. It's available on all the mobile platforms. 
So I encourage you to look it up wherever you want, or you can just listen along as I read Genesis 37, 3 through 11. Now Israel, remember that's Jacob's new name, Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. You may know that to be like a very colorful coat, right? That's an alternate interpretation of the original version here. But when uh, Joseph's brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. These are just bound up stalks of grain. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the matter in mind. So, um, the first lesson from this Bible story is that if God gives you a dream uh, where all of your much older and much stronger siblings bow down to you, where in fact even your parents bow down to you, just maybe consider sitting on that for a few days before bringing it up to them. Uh, Not every vision from God is meant to be shared uh, immediately. Um, but you, uh, you might be interested to know that um, this dream did, in fact, come true. What happened was that Joseph's brothers came to the point of hating him so much that they, they took him out and sold him to some slave traders, and Joseph was carried off to Egypt. And when he was in Egypt, he became known as someone who could interpret dreams. Remember, he was a mystic. This was kind of part of who he was. Uh, And as it turns out, the dreams that he interpreted while he was uh, imprisoned and enslaved in Egypt uh, ended up elevating him with with the people around him rather than um, making them all angry. Because it came to pass that he eventually interpreted the dreams of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And those interpretations led that Pharaoh to amass great stores of food during a season of plenty so that during a season of great famine which followed the season of plenty, um, the Egyptians, as it turned out, had enough food to feed the entire region. And one of the people groups that came to Egypt in search of this food in the stores um, of the Pharaoh was the Israelites. It was Jacob and his 11 other sons, Joseph's brothers. And they came to Egypt, and they all bowed down to the Pharaoh, and to his trusted advisor, their brother, their son, Joseph. That's the first mystic I want to tell you about today. Here's another dreamer, another mystic, from the Christian tradition, the post-biblical tradition. 
that is Julian of Norwich. Julian was an English woman who lived in England in the 14th and 15th centuries. So just before the Enlightenment, just before the, the Protestant Reformation as we understand it. And right in the middle of the bubonic plague. Now at a young age, Julian uh, became known as an anchorite or an anchoress if you wanted to feminize it. And that's sort of like being a nun or a monk, except without all the fun. Um, because an anchorite or an anchoress lives entirely alone. And so at a young age, Julian um, withdrew into a small room, into a cell that was attached to St. Julian's Church Chapel. In fact, we don't even know her real name. We only call her Julian because she was living in this cell off the St. Julian Church. Now, at the risk of being a little bit too on the nose right now, um, Julian was practicing extreme social distancing in the middle of a pandemic. By the time uh, Julian began her life of solitude, she was probably already alone, if you can get what I'm saying. She had probably lost most of the people she cared about already. She had almost not made it through herself. She became very ill and only barely survived. And it was in her solitude in that cell off the side of St. Julian's Chapel that Julian began to have visions, including visions of Christ in his crucifixion. And um, here's how one scholar whose name is Muravi Starr describes Julian's conclusions from the visions that she was having. Um, Christ's appearance, even in death, was friendly and courteous. And try as she might, Julian could not detect one iota of condemnation in him toward any member of the human family. Sin, says Julian, turns out to be no thing. Nowhere in all that was revealed to me did I see a trace of sin, she writes. And so I stopped looking for it and moved on, placing myself in God's hands, allowing him to show me what he wanted me to see. In Julian's exceedingly practical view, sin has no substance, not a particle of being, and can only be detected by the pain that it causes. Here's another um, radical twist from Julian's mystical visions. She began to understand God not only as father, but as mother. That's actually not radical, by the way. That's in the Bible already. Um, but she expanded on a little bit beyond the biblical language, and she said, As truly as God is our Father, just as truly is God our Mother. Who else but a mother, she asks, would break herself open and pour herself out for her children? Only God could ever perform such a duty. And Julian's God as Mother remains available at all times to her children especially present to us during our darkest hours. And so, you may be familiar with the most famous of Julian of Norwich's sayings, which is, all will be well, and all will be well, and every kind of thing, all manner of things, shall be well. So 
So the dreams of Joseph led to a deeply painful separation. They sent Joseph out into a world that he did not understand, a world of great despair and of great fear, a world temporarily without his family. But these same dreams also enabled him to be part of God's provision for the whole world. His family rejected him, but the Egyptians embraced him, and God used the Egyptians to provide for the rest of the world through Joseph's visionary mysticism. Now, if you know your Bible, you know that the story goes on from there, and we won't go all the way down into that story right now. But Joseph's dreams started out painful and ended up being part of the redemption of the whole world, the saving of the whole world. And the dreams of Julian of Norwich, they were not even shared with the people of her time. She lived in isolation. She died in obscurity. The only reason that we have her writings is because the women scribes, most of them nuns, diligently preserved her work so that hundreds of years later, they became known and published um, around the world. So she was an unknown in her time, and yet here we are today, drawing comfort from her words in the midst of our own crisis, desperately wanting to believe all manner of things will be well. So what dreams do you have today? What visions has God given you? Perhaps your dreams are troubled right now. What mystical revelation... Are you afraid to share? Are you afraid to speak aloud? Are you afraid even to admit entrance into your own heart and mind? What are you afraid of losing? What cost might you bear if you stepped out into the wild visions that God has given you? I want to encourage you, even if, and probably especially if, you're a person who is cast aside by your family, is dismissed by society, if you're a person who feels particularly alone and like your impact is non-existent because nobody even knows you're there, the visions that God could give you could have the power to change the whole world. And that is more true, not less true, during a time of crisis. Joseph's visions saved the world during a famine. Julian's visions came about during a time of pandemic and plague. So seek God. Pay attention to your dreams. And don't be afraid to be a mystic. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.